fear comes out of your identification with your separateness. And as long as you are separate, you are identified with that which is in time and space. And that which is in time and space is changing. And so you are identified with something which is changing all the time. And that has inherent within it fear. So inherent within your identification with your separateness is fear. And the freedom from fear comes from the identification with that in you, which is not the separate forms, which is not stuff, but lies behind stuff. And the minute you identify with that, you are no longer afraid. Welcome, everyone, to another Ramdas Here and Now episode. I'm Jackie Dobrinska, your host, and you, you are an amazing community with your hearts and compasses turned towards compassion, discernment, and awakening. And it's really nice to be together through time and space. Today, we are diving into episode 223, Freedom from Fear. It's the second part of a Q&A that started in the last episode, and it was recorded in 1982, and Ramdas answers a wide range of questions, from what it's like to be on stage, to how to balance our head and our hearts. He talks about the individuality of the soul, rebirth, religious scenarios, and how to become free from fear. That part is particularly sweet and juicy, and I think relevant to so many of us today. And I wonder... How would it change our lives to live without fear? I don't know, maybe it's a question to ponder this week. At one point in the episode, he talks about our soul's desire to go into the dark, which might sort of seem surprising as so many of us are taught to go towards the light. But um, I have a really favorite story around this, and it's the retelling of the Persephone story. Um, in this one, instead of being snatched by Hades, which if you think about it is um, a story filled with a lot of fear, um, the retelling is much more inspiring because Persephone, she feels an inner stirring and she knows that there's more to life than all of this life, light. Um, and so she walks with her grandmother Hecate into the darkness to see what's there. And she travels into the unknown, and eventually they come out the other side, and Persephone is wiser and more compassionate and more mature, a spiritual maturity. And I think we all face darkness, but how much nicer would it be to enter from our own inner stirrings and with a trusted friend? So I hope that story lands with you. The last 10 minutes of the lecture is this lovely meditation. So I encourage you to listen to the episode from a comfortable space or come back to it and re-listen to that part when you can. It's really worth participating in. At the end, he also referenced softening our own hearts. Again, this is something so much easier said than done. And for the past month, I've been developing our next course, and it focuses, it focuses specifically on this, on the heart, and it has so much sweetness in it. Um, and that listening piece comes up. I think it's so key for that sweetness to really expand. Um, and I don't know how many of you have this experience, but how practice can become this sort of 
to-do or striving or even self-flagellation tool. I know I've done that many, many, many times in my past, and we'll probably do it again in the future. But there was this point in practice where I just sort of gave it up. I gave up the striving and accomplishing, and I just went out in the morning and I listened to the birds and the wind in the trees, and like everything changed from that point. So really really hope you can feel that in this episode. And there's so many ways we can nourish and nurture our heart. Um, Another one that's big for, I think, many of us in this community is kirtan or song. And um, I think part of it is, of course, the singing, but I also think there's this like part of it coming together in community. And we all know how important community was for Ramdas. So that leads me to if you want some really like blowing your heart open sweetness, um, really encourage you to check out the upcoming second annual Ramdas Legacy Mountain Retreat in Boone, North Carolina this August. I don't know, I might be like all of these nights of chanting with Krishna Das or these incredible lectures by folks like David Nickturn or Dr. Sarah King, or it's like such an incredibly beautiful space. Maybe it's that, or these like, there's an opportunity to go into the Appalachian Mountain Forest with Nina Rao in the morning and chant, or maybe it's just like being together with all of these incredible folks, but it's pretty profound. So I hope you will come be a part. You can find out more at ramdas.org slash boon. And boon is spelled B-O-O-N-E. So ramdas.org slash boon. And I have to admit, all of us over here at Love Serve Remember, we have been pretty busy. We've got this upcoming retreat, this course that will come out in May. We've just launched the 24-7 live stream. We just finished up a 21-day free course and just a ton more. Um, And so we've all been putting in some pretty long days. And I have to say, I have been really supported by that drink I told you about a few weeks ago, Magic Mind. It has helped me stay focused and it has kept my mind and energy steady in a time of stress. And I know, I know, I mean, like how stressful can it be to work for Ramdas? But, you know, deadlines are deadlines and we all have them and we all need support around them. Um, And it's not just me. I had a potential client reach out to me and tell me that Magic Mind had really had him sleeping better. And he puts a shot in eight ounces of water and it becomes his morning sippy drink. So my inner herbalist needs to geek out for just a second and let you know about one of the ingredients, which is lion's mane. It's this incredible magic mushroom. And it's not that kind of magical mushroom, but it's magical all the same. Um, So lion's mane is shown to support focus, creativity, and productivity. It also helps with inflammation, which is often the underlying cause of lots of issues. But this is the really amazing part. And studies are being done around this in all sorts of ways. But it stimulates new growth of nerve cells and neurons, which, if I understand correctly, can help us with neuroplasticity and the ability to sort of break up old patterns. So how cool is that? Anyway, seeing how well it worked for me, Magic Mind has extended another offer to you all, to this community. If you go to magicmind.co slash Ramdas, you will get 50% off your subscription if you order within 10 days of this episode airing. So use the code Ramdas. Again, that's magicmind.co slash Ramdas, and then use the code Ramdas. Anyway, back to the episode. 
We hope you enjoy. And as always, whatever good may come from these teachings, may it benefit all of us in our daily lives and ripple out into the world for all beings. We thank the many, many people who made this podcast possible, from our sound guys to our sponsors, to all of you for tuning in, and for all of those who donate. And if you don't already donate, consider doing so. You can go to ramdas.org slash donate. And so here is Ramdas, here and now. Namaste and blessings. What it's like to sit up here? Um, well, a good part of me is sitting exactly where you're sitting. In other words, we are all audience of something happening. See, the, if you notice, I keep the lights turned up in the audience because what we are dealing with is a, a, a loop that's going on. And this is why most of you are sitting here because you feel like I am talking to you. And really, it's you talking to you. I mean, I don't really have an axe to grind. I got nothing to sell. You can't sign anywhere. There's nothing to join, you know. And I've burned out the kind of hustly thing about it or the kind of collecting. I used to you know, just want more of it and more of it and more of it until it didn't, it turned into, that stuff was nothing. It was like, that, you couldn't collect it. And I started to come out here. I, it was interesting because each evening, Dick Alpert works himself up into that insecurity and doubt because you didn't, you don't, none of us want to be lost in the stuff. So Dick Alpert walks out and then very slowly when this loop happens, Dick Alpert expands, not rejecting Dick, but including, 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 including. And that has a link that has a circle that has to go. So in a way, I'm really as much audience as you are. Now, I'm not trying to be humble or anything like that. I mean, I love this role. It's my role. Every time I give it up, I find myself doing it again. I do it because I do it because I do it, and it feels okay to do. And in a way, it's been my yoga because to the extent that I am still that Jewish middle-class boy that wants power and fame and goodies and all that stuff, this is the fire of my purification. I mean, I can either get caught in it or I can just chew it up until I've digested it and then just be here again. But the minute I try to collect it, it alienates me from you. And then you become them. And the minute you become them, I lose it. So really, what I look out is I look out at myself. I look out at my beloved. I look out at this play of love is what I do each night. And it's interesting because I sit in the back, usually in the dark, and I say to Maharaji, look, it's in your hands. I don't know what I'm doing here. Whatever you want to do, do. And sometimes I get up and if I don't start from the truth I'm in at the moment, if I start with a prepared tape, well, I think I'll tell them this. Forget it. I'm like climbing a mountain all night long. But if I will trust the timing and just wait until my heart engages with yours and we just connect and the speaking comes out of that place, it can go on and on and on. It just is like, it's like a... a uh, one of those wheels that has no resistance. It just flows on. Because I'm not doing it to somebody. So uh, these are all little learning things that I'm going through. Is that dealing with your question? Oh, it's very different for different people, sure. But uh, 
It, see, the thing is that if you can be audience and I can be speaker without me being lost in being speaker or you in being audience, then we can be together. But if something about me makes you have to be audience, then we get separated. Then it's entertainment. See, and it's very strange because I'm not in the entertainment business, even though I'm a good entertainer. Right? Um, you have a model of who you think you are and how you think it is. If you identify totally with that model, with that thinking structure, then you are identified with your ego. You are one with your ego. The minute you have extricated yourself from identification with the ego, meaning, yes, there is this structure, but I am also, and you tune to that part of you that is not part of that, then the ego starts to be a part of you, but not all of you. And the part of you that it isn't starts to use, see it as a beautiful vehicle, like an automobile for driving down the highways. It's something to work with in life, but it's not something that captivates you all the time. There's a part of you that isn't in it. So that even though I am talking, just this is more of an answer to this question, even though I am talking, I am not talking. There's a part of me that is watching this hand go out, that is watching as much as there's a part doing it. The part doing it is the ego, it's the words, it's the vehicle through which it's coming. And there's this funny statement that gives me a little bit of pause each evening, which is an old wise statement that says, he who knows does not speak and he who speaks does not know. Imagine thinking of that every night before I come out here. <laughs> See? And then I realize that that part of me that is, is, that's the wisdom. And then it comes down through my ego, which is doing the talking. And the ego is an instrument of that place. And part of the ego is trying to rip off and get its trip on too, and grabs my consciousness. And then I'm talking from not knowing. If I'm rooted in this other part of my being and just use my ego, Yogananda, uh, Yuk, uh, Vivekananda's statement is, or I guess Yogananda, the, no, Vivekananda, the ego is an exquisite servant and a lousy master. But you don't destroy it because it is your structure from relating. Just like we are lecturer and lecturee, this is the form of our dance. And the form has in it, you know your part and I know my part, that's all of our ego structure, really. But behind it is real too. And oftentimes the dance just gets so captivating, we lose it into the dance and we forget the meta part where there is, it's beyond dance. We just get lost into the dance and we're busy being Lady Macbeth or whatever, or dying or living or whatever. Yes. Detachment and compassion. Well, see, detachment doesn't mean not having feelings. It means not getting lost in the identification with those feelings. Your humanness makes you, if you're a mother, you can't, it hurts you when your child hurts. That's your humanness. Your higher wisdom can appreciate it all, but your humanness hurts. Compassion is that balancing of those two things. And the only way that balancing can occur is if part of you is detached not detached in a pushing away sense, in a psychological dissociation sense, not as a mechanism of defense, but part of you is 
connected with that more expansive awareness that includes your child and you and all of the suffering and all the pleasure and everything. And then part of you is the human mother that's really hurting. And the two of those together in balance is what compassion is about. If you lose, if you get one and lose the other, you lost it. You lost it. It's not just pity. Compassion is not pity. Compassion is an appreciation of how it all is, and yet you, including your humanness and your pain and your yearning to end the suffering. So I can work full-time to end suffering even though I know this is Earth, and Earth has inherent within its form suffering. That's the nature of this thing, of our separateness. I even know suffering is grace, and still I work to end suffering, because that's my part as a human being, a conscious human being. I don't do it out of, I'm a great guy to do it. I do it because that's what I do, like you're going to the toilet. And I work to make heaven on earth, even I know, though I know there is a heaven and this is earth. As Buddha pointed out, who's born on this plane? The five hindrances. Lust and greed is one of them, not even two. Hatred and ill will agitation of mind, sloth and torpor, and doubt. That's who we are. That's part of our humanness. We all have a little, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, you got one of them a little bit. Okay, that's what you're doing here. I have all five of them amply, or you just drop down a bless us, you don't have any of them, okay? So if you were setting up an intentional community and you said, who we have in it? Well, let's have lust and greed, hatred and ill will, agitation, sloth and torpor and doubt. What'd you expect? I mean, that's what this is. That's what the earth is. It's this kind of a, an intentional community. This is the place where you can do the best kind of work on yourself or you wouldn't be here. So stop complaining. And part of your work is as you get more conscious, you keep working to make it more beautiful, but at the same moment, the people that are being born here have this stuff to work out. And it's okay. It's okay, because you're not attached to the fruits of the actions. You work to end suffering. If suffering ends, that's, that's fine, and if it doesn't end, well, that's the way it is. Heavy duty. Yes. Wow, okay, you asked for it. Uh, the question is, what about the individuality of the soul or the essence or the entity? Where does that come from and where is it going? The answer is, it is and it's not going anywhere. But let me approach it. Let, let me give you Emmanuel's um, uh, structure just for fun. I'll, let me, I'll just say it. I'm not going to try to explain it all or clean it up. I'm just going to say it. This is just for fun. Let's just play imagination. Imagine that uh, it's all one. One, and you could call that one love, you could call it light, you could call it anything you want, it doesn't matter, it's just what you call it, but it is. One of the things you could call it is creativity. And that the one is really made up of an infinite number of itself, like holography. Just these tiny creative sparks, each one unique from each other one. And that these sparks are all sitting in harmony with one another as light. But the nature of a creative spark is that it must create. 
So some of these sparks choose to create by turning away from the light and thereby creating a shadow, which is the Plato cave image, and then getting involved with the shadow, which they call darkness. Now, under these conditions, you see that the Garden of Eden story is a story of choice, not a fall. Fall is the interpretation, but the, actually it's the choice of us to leave the Garden of Eden to go out to explore the darkness, which is the shadows created by our own minds because it is God exploring itself through karma or through darkness. And the game for these particular sparks is to keep embracing and opening to all of that until you can embrace the darkness back into the light. That is, you can love your way through the darkness or through the veils. And that is merely an exercise of creative consciousness. And some beings do not choose to follow the path of karma and of dark, which is darkness, or their own shadows. And they create in different ways in the light, which Emmanuel says to me, you would probably find inconceivable from your vantage point. And when I said to him, Emmanuel, people, when I talk about them becoming one and in light getting free of their separateness, they get anxious. They don't want to die. And he said, oh, you humans with your dualistic minds. Why do you think that when you become one with the one, you are not also still unique? So that with that one, you can allow for just the question you asked. Yeah, it's a nice one, isn't it? Can you, do you all get, or did some of you? Did, uh, uh, yes. You've got to understand that the fetal period is as much an experience of the soul as any other part of life. And it's an experience which you have programmed and created for yourself. And um, the process of rebirthing is to go back into non-conceptual spaces to experience the way in which those patterns were set that later you elaborated on with your conceptual structures and to go back and feel those patterns in a preconceptual space. And um, uh, it feels to me very uh, useful, as I call it, body and fender repair work, in getting the personality aligned, getting it clearer and lighter and more aligned, or getting to be more friends with your neurosis, however you want to put it. Uh, and I think it's a useful method, yeah, sure. I don't know what else you want me to say about it about dealing with fears, fear. Well, fear comes out of your identification with your separateness. And as long as you are separate, you are identified with that which is in time and space. And that which is in time and space is changing. And so you are identified with something which is changing all the time, and that has inherent within it fear. So inherent within your identification with your separateness is fear. And the freedom from fear comes from the identification with that in you which is not the separate forms, which is not stuff, but lies behind stuff. 
And the minute you identify with that, you are no longer afraid. But that, it's not true to say you are no longer afraid. That part of you that is one is not afraid. That part of you that is separate is afraid. But then your appreciation and compassion for your own fear has evolved to the point where you can live with your fear without being consumed into it. And fear comes from the feeling of losing the connection to the light or to the source or to the love. And what's bizarre is we chose to do that. It's like we chose to play a game and then scared the hell out of ourselves. That's really what we've done. And then we wake up out of it and say, oh, far out. Was that what that was about? God, it's like dreaming at night and then you wake up out of the dream into another dream. Did you ever do that where you think, gee, that was an interesting dream and then you find you're still dreaming? I do that a lot. Wait until you wake up out of this one. I mean, I could have sworn I was in Asheville, North Carolina and we were in a hall and God, it was so real. Doesn't it seem real to you? But don't your dreams seem real to you? Why not this one? No, this is reality. Huh. Are all religious scenarios equally valid, or is there really only one way? I'm added on to your question. Uh, there are many paths up the mountain, and freedom is freedom. And religions and yogic methods and all of these things are paths. And each individual has their own unique karmic predicament and must listen to hear what their path is. So for different folks, there are different strokes. There are different paths for different people. So for each person, there probably is a path that is right. But it isn't the same path for everybody. No. Every path is a trap. But in order for the path to work, you've got to allow yourself to be trapped by it. And then all you can hope is it will self-destruct. <laughs> but when you're in it, it really is trapping. So that somebody comes up to you and they say, Christ is the only way. And I know that they are in the middle of that method and that it's working for them. And that out of that method, they, are, they feel compelled to help me because they think I am suffering and they have the way to do that. And I honor them for wanting to do that, but I must resist and say, you must trust me to listen to my heart as you have listened to your heart. And I'm secure in that so that what they say doesn't have that effect on me. It doesn't make me feel, oh my God, maybe I'm missing it. Because I trust my own heart. And because I do see that finally the way is the way is the way is the way. It's all the only way. How to tune in more to one's intuition and follow one's heart. I think you start with your heart. You start with love. You start with whatever will soften your feelings towards the world around you. Try a pussycat or a leaf or something simple, you know, and work up to humans. <laughs> See, it's interesting. Like, we can look at trees and we can say a beautiful oak, a beautiful pine, a beautiful elm, a beautiful gnarled you know, elm, but somehow we get to humans. We say, if you were only this way, you'd be better, you know. So it takes a while to work up to humans. But just start and start to practice the opening of the heart. 
and the opening of the heart and the opening of the heart. And you'll begin to feel your way into, you learn how to listen. You learn how to listen. Practice listening. Just go and sit under the stars and start to listen. And listen to your body. Like now. Like now. Let's just meditate for a couple of minutes. Now you say meditation where it's a different thing, but it isn't. Because you've been doing it all along. Just listen. Just listen. Just like Milarepa with his hand behind his ear. Just listen. Just listen. listen. Hear the air conditioner? Feel a movement in the room? Feel your body? The chair? The floor? Feel the fatigue in your body? and the pleasure and all of the different feelings. You don't have to react, just notice them. Allow them. Just open to what is. If your thought grabs and takes you on a little trip, just come back. If you want to come back, come back to your breath, maybe. That's what is. Breathing in, breathing out. Just what is. Baby gooing. It all just is what it is at this moment. Imagine working out of this space. Nothing happens, yet nothing is left undone. Now bring your awareness to the middle of your chest as if you had nostrils there and you're breathing in and out. With each breath, imagine that you're drawing in a very subtle type of energy and you're breathing it out again. And at first with the in-breath, it just fills your body with a very light, very golden quality of sweetness. And with the out-breath, you breathe out all of the tensions and confusion and fears and and then take another breath and fill again. Fill down to the toes and down to the fingertips and up to the top of the head.
now imagine before you some being who is suffering. It might be somebody you know or just all suffering beings. Or maybe yourself. Somebody that's in pain. It might be they're suffering physically or maybe psychologically or maybe spiritually because they're yearning for God. Just imagine that being before you. Continue to breathe in and out of the heart and draw that prawn, that beautiful light, that ambrosia, that elixir into your being. And then when you breathe out, direct it to surround that person as if you were surrounding them with a golden light, a light of peace, of presence, a light that gives them a support system for them to use their suffering in a way that allows them to grow and thus relieves their suffering. Now just rest back in your being. No boundaries. Keep expanding to include all of it. All of us are within you. All the sounds and smells and tastes and touches and bodies are all inside of you. Feel your vastness. You are awareness. There is only one of us here. My voice is inside of us. And from this space, from this grand, spacious presence, look down within yourself and see that tiny being that you think yourself to be. And see her or his drama history, all of it, and experience compassion towards this being. See the unfolding, and in your mind's eye, place your hand on the head of this tiny being and give it your blessing that it might awaken out of its illusion in order to enjoy its dance. You are the creator, you are the created. Acknowledging yourself as the creator is the first step to the delight in the participation in the creation.
happy this evening that we could be together to share so much, to learn all of the other ways in which our intuitive heart is manifesting to heal the planet and to heal ourselves. And I enjoy being part of that process. We are all part of a network. I just play my part and you play yours. You have to listen to hear what your part is and then accept responsibility for its creation. Don't be afraid to fall on your face. I do it all the time. Just get up, brush yourself off, and get on with it. That's what it is to be human. If you were fully divine, you wouldn't have taken a human birth. So enjoy the way the humanity and the divinity are all part of God. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.